1: flushcarecom weightloss Well I, I was uh,
0: charged and convicted of directing terrorism and there only was one director
1: Johnny Adair Johnny Mad Dog Adair Johnny Adair was a soldier a freedom fighter well, I fucking loved it mm. I loved it Adair's name is well known his face instantly recognisable his voice familiar but he's not a famous actor or a singer Adair is a celebrity terrorist.
0: It's easy to jump on this stage and read out statements that we're going to kill you, Johnny There, I've heard it all before throughout the years.
1: Action speaks louder than words. He was a notorious loyalist paramilitary who landed himself in jail because he boasted about his murderous activities.
0: I was married to, to that organisation and lived, slept, dreamed, breathed that organisation.
1: That's just the way I was. He was the pumped up skinhead hard man who led a bloody loyalist faction in carrying out over 40 murders.
0: The C Company was just like any other company on the Shankill Road. wasn't known to have any distinction and he changed it from a beer-swilling boogie-trodden old guard to a proactive murder machine.
1: The vast majority of his victims were entirely innocent Catholics. They say you're only as good
0: as your last operation and under my direction, C Company had been involved in many, many, many professional operations against the
1: professional IRA. In this episode of the Bell Tale, we look at the rise of Johnny Madogadur and the UDA's infamous Sea Company. Joining us to tell the story is the Sunday Life's Kieran Barnes. Kieran, you and I both know who is Johnny Adair, but some of the younger people perhaps listening to this podcast may have heard the name, but they don't really know who Johnny Adair is or where he came from.
2: Yeah, well, they would have certainly heard the name. I don't, and especially anyone who's over the age of about 25 or 30 in Northern Ireland, they would definitely know the name. Johnny Adair's name is synonymous with the Troubles, it's synonymous with sectarian violence, in Northern Ireland and it's it's kind of lived on a bit because he is he doesn't head his late under a bushel he uh he's, he's very forthright when it comes to giving interviews um whether to be broadcasters or or the press so he's, he's very 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 well known now he's still dining out on the fact that um 20 years ago he was probably the most notorious terrorist in, in Northern Ireland if not of all time you know um this is a guy who for a period headed up what it can only be described as a sectarian killing machine. That's what his C-company unit on on the lower shankle was. And it progressed then from killing Catholic civilians and uh, carrying out sectarian murders to killing loyalists, very, very prominent um, loyalists and other leaders of the UDA. And that's the reason why Adair um, is no longer in Northern Ireland. He's uh, He's been up in Scotland for the past two decades and... He certainly he can't come back here, he'll be killed. He'll be and he'll be killed by the, he'll be killed by lawyers, not by Republicans.
1: If you go back to Northern Ireland, you'll be shot dead, as simple as that. I would say there'd be people lying, queuing up to kill you. The UDA, As we speak, they're trying to whack you. Talk is cheap, John
0: the, It's easy to jump on this stage and read out statements that we're gonna kill you, Johnny there. I've heard it all before throughout the years. Action speaks louder than words.
1: So he was he was he originally from the Shankill area.
2: Well, he was from the lower Old Park. The lower Old Park borders the Shankill. It's in, actually in North Belfast. It's, um, it's it's like an inner city working class area. Lots of terrace streets and a little, a little housing executive called It's a it's probably it's on the Old Park Road, and and it's probably the most dangerous stretch of road in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. It was a scene for multiple sectarian murders, sectarian attacks, bombings. It was in an area known as the Murder Mail, um, a quarter of all the, tr- uh, the murders carried out Three and a half thousand murders carried out during the Troubles Occurred in North Belfast And the Old Park Road area The, would, the majority of murders carried out North Belfast were carried out in, in that particular area So um, that's where he's from He grew up there And it's right beside the Shankle So you know, a lot of his friends, a lot of his colleagues A lot of his school friends would have been from the Shankle
1: So it's no real surprise That he found his way um, into loyalist paramilitarism, like many other people, obviously. Yeah.
2: Well, he started off as a petty criminal, and he was involved in, in criminal behaviour um, when he was younger. And um, not everything. The, most people who come from these these places don't end up in paramilitary groups, but there is uh, paramilitaries tend to look at paramilitary leaders tend to look at people who are involved in petty crime as being ripe for. Being picked to join those organisations, and they fitted them all. You know, he was sectarian. He was a skinhead when he was in his youth. He was in the National Front. He was racist. Um, he harboured great um, dislike and hatred of Catholics and of um, people of other ethnic backgrounds. Um, so he was he was right. He was right for the picking, and uh, he joined the UDA in uh, 1984 uh, when he was about 18 or 19 years of age, along with a group of his along a group of his friends.
1: And that started a journey through Loyalist paramilitarism that he then became a so-called brigadier uh, in in what's known as C Company. Now, what's a brigadier and what's well, C Company? A,
2: a brigadier is a leader. Oh, the way the way it was at the time, Adair joined the, the UDA in the mid-1980s and he, he gradually worked his way up the ranks now. When he first joined C Company, C Company was a unit of the UDA based in the Lower Shankle. So, what you have is you have the UDA is split into six different brigade areas in Northern Ireland. So, you have North, South, East, and West Belfast. You have South East Antrim, and then you have North Antrim and East Londonderry. So, uh, Adair joins the West Belfast Brigade of the UDA. Um, and the West Belfast Brigade of the UDA is br- broken into three different companies. So, you have A Company, which is the top of the Shankle you've B Company which is the Woodville and the mid-shangle and then you've C Company which is the lower shangle so Adair um, joins C Company he starts off basically as a food soldier involved street riot and in, in, in sectarian violence and gradually he works his way up to become the C Company commander and then for a brief period during the during the 1990s he's, he's the overall brigadier of the West Belfast UDA which the brigadier is the leader in charge of each of the companies so you've got three company command three company commanders, A, B, and C, and then you have a Brigadier who's in charge of 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 those commanders. So even when he wasn't Brigadier for that short period, and he was just C Company commander, he was he was still calling the shots. You know he was still he was still pulling the strings. He was still the, the the face of the UDA in West Belfast. He was still the ghoul. He was still the bogeyman. If you were a Republican or if, if you were a nationalist,
0: oh, I fucking loved it. I loved it. Mm. I loved it. it was married to that organisation and lived, slept, dreamed, breathed that organisation. That's just the way I was.
1: And even that expression, the way you've put it, he was the face of the UDA. Um, one would assume that these organisations involved in murder and mayhem, and, and we can we'll we'll, we'll touch. We, we I mean we'll have to speak about C Company are suspected of murdering perhaps over forty people in this period. So whilst we talk about this personality etc., but he he didn't seem to hide the fact any of this.
2: No, he was a celebrity paramilitary. You know, he was the, probably the first celebrity paramilitary. You know that were he was, he was open about his activities. He, um, he you know, well, he was famous for um, almost like taunting Republicans too, because he would drive around Republican areas in Ardoyne and, and the Bone and the Clenville and New Lodge wearing a Celtic top or Republic of Ireland top. You know, he was known for this. I remember being as a kid growing up in North Belfast, and and these stories being widely known. Or did you see Johnny Adair? Johnny Adair was driving around here the other day in a, in a Celtic shirt. So, um, and even when attacks were being carried out uh, by Sea Company and uh, attacks on nationalists and Republicans in the early in the early nineties, the name Johnny Adair was was widely spoken, um, even among kids as as being responsible and being connected to them. So he was a he was. A, I really do think he was probably the first celebrity paramilitary um in in Northern Ireland there was paramilitaries in Northern Ireland by that stage of course there was but and they were well known but he was the first one who turned it into a celebrity
1: just to put this all in context of course you know this the, the C company were involved in a lot more than, yeah, up to, than up Street rat and so the so 40 killings, yeah. so so can could you take us is it could you give us an example yeah, I suppose? so so what happened was
2: there in the late 80s The UDA in West Belfast wasn't particularly active. It was carrying out the old sectarian killing. And then a few of them were jailed um, towards the end of the 80s. A few of them were arrested in connection with the the murder of the human rights lawyer, Pat in 1989. So the leadership was seen as old and stale. And you had these young Turks who were coming through the likes of Adair and Gary Smith and and Skelly McCrory and Fat Jackie Thompson. And they basically staged uh, a velvet coup within the UDA where they they went to the UDA leaders... uh, on the shackle, the older men, and said, Look, your time's gone. We're taking over. Um we're in charge now. And they took over and and from that period, from about the late eighties onwards, early nineties on from nineteen ninety onwards, the the killings carried out by the West Belfast UDA go through the roof. They they're carrying out double treble what they were were previously. And a lot of that's down here there and his little band of brothers who he um he brought he brought with him. Um some of the killings they, they, the C company were involved in the murder of a girl called Philomena Hanna, um, which is a disgraceful killing where um, she worked on a she worked in a pharmacy on Springfield Road, which is joined to the Shankle via Lannard Way, which is kinda of like a interface area. It's got gates on it and prevent which are closed at night time preventing cars going up and down it. But Stephen McKaig was the gunman and while Stephen McKaig is returning to the Shankle in the getaway car after after murdering Philomena Hanna, he's singing Follow the Yellow Brick Road. That's what Sea Company used to call that way, the Yellow Brick Road because it led into the Nicelast, um Falls Road, Springfield Road district. And they used it as, as a rat on the murder people. Another uh, horrific one was the... Um, this is the, wor- the worst mass killing by Sea Company was the James Murray bookmakers attack on the Old Park Road in November 1992. The 30th anniversary is coming up in a, in a few weeks' time. Um, McCaig was one of the gunmen who attacked the bookmakers uh, just at the junction of the Old Park Road in Rosapenna Street and they killed three people three hand grenades inside they riddled the place with assault rifles and uh, more than a dozen people were injured and, and of the three killed one of them um, was a guy called John Lovett interestingly, and this is a, this is a quite an interesting footnote John Lovett, who, bear in mind the UDAC themselves is the defender of the Union they're, they're, they're taking the fight the Republicans, you know they're, they're doing it on behalf of Britain and the man who they murdered, John Lovett He was a 72-year-old British war hero. John uh, had fought during the Battle of Britain uh, during the Second World War. He helped prevent a Nazi invasion of Britain. And then after after that, he was stationed in Burma and he was captured by the Japanese forces. He ended up a POW, Prisoner of War, in a Japanese prison camp and was rescued by the Americans in 1945. So John's in the bookies. That day in November 1982, doing a bat, and he comes in and he's he's riddled with bullets by uh, by the UDA gunman. And what's even more uh, ironic is in 2016, the UDA painted a mural to Stevie McKay, who was the gunman that day, in in the Lower Shankill area, and they surround it with they decorated it with poppies. This is a man who murdered a bona fide British war hero. And there's a mural of him on the shackle surrounded by poppies. And there's not a mention of John Lovett, a proper war hero, you know. his. um, Uh, Here's a war hero who's forgotten, while his sectarian killer is exalted. uh,
1: And a war hero who fought, fought in the Battle of Britain was gunned down by a man with the nickname of Top Gun. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you couldn't make it up. It really is. The, it's, it's, it's quite a paradox. But, but,
1: but when we think about that again, this I mean, you mentioned Fat Jackie, mm-hmm. Top Gun McCaig, yeah. Smicker Smith, yeah. S- Sam Skelly McCrory, yeah. and then there's John White. Yeah. These people, I mean, it, I know that they were led by Johnny Adair, a boastful man, uh, and a celebrity paramilitary, a celebrity terrorist. Uh, and yet there seem to be an awful lot of Personalities involved—they seem to be very well known. Uh, all of these people, in comparison to some of the paramilitaries that exist today, for example. Yeah, well, there was almost like the
2: cult of Adur at the time, you know, and because Adur was so forthright in talking to the press and and not trying to cover up what he was doing, he enjoyed being in the spotlight. He really did, uh, and that led to um, his his little gang. And his closest friends also being identified in the press, and and they were identified by their nicknames at first, um, because there's obviously legal issues when 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 journalists uh, would to prevent journalists from describing people who aren't convicted as as gunmen, and then these. After a while, you know, they're named in the press for so long. With their nicknames, their, their real names start start coming to the fore. But these are all ruthless paramilitaries. Like, don't they, they you know, they may have cuddly sounding nicknames like Fat Jackie and Smicker Smith, but these are all absolute ruthless paramilitaries. These are guys who would think nothing of picking up a gun and going to a bookmaker's shop and shooting it up, or going to a pub and machine gunning it and killing innocent. But the vast majority of people who see company killed were just innocent civilians they killed uh, they killed a couple of Protestants as well as Catholics although the, the majority of the murders would have been would have been Catholic
1: but eventually if you're boasting about paramilitary activity it seems common sense to say you're going to end up in jail and that's what happened
2: yeah well it got to the stage where senior officers in the RUC and senior civil servants in the NIO reached the decision, look, this guy's going to have to be brought down. There's sectarian mayhem on the streets in north and west Belfast in a minute and is at the centre of it. Um, the Shankill bomb in 1983 when the IRA murdered 10 people in the, the Shankill road and a couple of them children uh, they claimed that they were going for Adair and they were trying to talk at to a UDA meeting. now the intelligence was hopeless um, Adair wasn't in that building that day above for Fish shop he had gone to see Skelly McCrory in prison who was, his, who was his good friend? So the bomb gets placed there that day and it slaughters a bunch of, you know, it slaughters 10 innocent people. So the the UDA responded to that with the great Steel attacks. And what you were seeing here was a, a pattern of tit for tat murders occurring in a fairly small geographical space in North and West Belfast. So it got to the stage where the cops had to do something about it, the government had to do something about it. So two of the best detectives. The, the police had were, were guys called Johnny Brown and Trevor McElroth, two CID detectives. Um, between them, they ran about 30 different informants uh, during the course of their careers, Republican and loyalist. And the, the RUC said, right, they're saying those two to Adair. Um, so they were tasked with basically bringing down Johnny Adair. So they start recording him anytime they're speaking to him. The, there's listing devices put in his house, put in his car, put in an office that he uses. And what they're trying to do is they're painstakingly building a case against Adair. So, Adair, if you ever meet him, he's quite affable, he's quite pleasant, you know, and he likes to talk about himself and things that he's done. And he often talks about himself in the third person. So, they're recording everything. And this goes on for 18 months. So, after a while, Magalroth and, um, Detective McElrath and, and, and Johnson-Brown, they have enough evidence based on Adair's own admissions to bring a case against them. Now, interestingly as well, um, they had a Adair registered as an informant. Now, Adair was never an informant. He was never an informant in the sense that Freddie Schiapetici was an informant, or Mark Coddick was an informant, where they were meeting their handlers in secret locations, they were passing on information clandestinely, they were being paid thousands of pounds. Adair was never like that. But they had Adair, McElrath and, and Johnson Brown had Adair registered as an informant because he was so boastful and and he, Adair basically talked himself into trouble. There wouldn't have been the evidence to the prosecute him for directing terrorism unless he had provided, with him, provided it to them by speaking so openly about his activities. So Adair is eventually ge- uh, charged with directing terrorism and in 1995 he is um, he's sentenced to 16 years in prison and off he goes to the maze. Um thinking that he's not going to get out until uh, 2010. But then, obviously, there was peace talks, there was a good Friday agreement, and there was the deal which paramilitary struck um, with the government in that if they supported the peace process and supported the agreement, you would see the early release of prisoners.
1: He went into prison, well a smaller man than he came out obviously he did a lot of weights in prison his yeah. image his image didn't he didn't fade away in prison he, his image seemed to grow despite the fact he was behind yeah, bars at the
2: time the the loyalists had control of their own wing at the maze so you know they were smuggling and dogs there was drug parties in it every weekend you know drink was on top they were bringing girls in to have sex with so you know this was like a, it wasn't a prison in, in, in the strictest sense of the word they, they may have been locked up but within that confined space that they were locked up, they had full control of those wings. So, you know, sometimes they would joke that it was kind of kind of a holiday home.
0: Referring to the maze, it was a, a home from home. The paramilitaries run the prison. Whatever we wanted on the outside, which was not on the prison talk shop list, we, we could send out word and we'd have it smuggled in. Sirloin, steaks, steroids, whatever we needed. We had everything from sacks, from uh, our own food, uh, just...
2: Almost anything. So Adair's in there. Adair's—he's um, not the OC or the officer commanding of the jail, but he, you know, he has a fairly senior position. And his best friend, Sam Skelly McCrory, who died recently. Scully's the Skelly's the OC. So as the um, as the peace process is gaining legs, you have the ceasefires in '94, and then you have the talks leading up the Good Friday Agreement. You have senior unionist politicians coming in to uh, meet loyalist prisoners to shore up their support for for the for the peace process and for the agreement and a uh, senior also unionist delegation came in and they met with UDA prisoners and among them was Adair and um, Michael Stone was there too and Skelly McCrory was there and Stone tells a good story about how uh Adair and Trimble shook hands um when they David Trimble who would go on to become first minister shook hands during the first meeting and after the meeting Adair complained that um Trimble had crushed his hand um during the, during the original make. Now, I find that funny because he have a Adair who's steroided out of his nut. You know, he's, he's a big, muscly guy. And you have know, David Trimble who's quite frail and quite, looks quite bookish and nerdish. And uh, Adair's complaining that Trimble crushed his hand. But the UDA prisoners eventually do support the, support the Good Friday Agreement. I think that they, they, at the time, they I don't know, it was a half-hearted support, but it was necessary for them to be seen to be supporting the agreement because it would mean that they um get out of jail early and that's that's what happened uh uda the good Friday agreement signed in april 98th uda are campaigning for the udp the also democratic party who's the political wing of the uda they're campaigning for it on the on the outside along with the pup who represent the, the uvf prisoners and um they're telling people to vote in favor of the agreement and uh you know, there's an overwhelming majority of people in, in Northern Ireland vote in favour of it, and, the, and that leads to that leads to the, the eventual release of all paramilitary prisoners.
1: And one associate uh, of uh, Johnny Adair, who was famously made a fool of in the BBC Spotlight uh, investigation, I remember, was John White, and he was heavily connected with the UDA. So he was kind of a a spokesperson. He was
2: their. He was their political representative for, for the also Democratic Party. He was also. He was also, Johnny Adair's consigliere. Uh, he was the one who gave him political advice. Who advised him on different things. Now, uh, like Adair, John White's to convict the paramilitary. He served a life sentence for the double murder uh, in the early seventies of Senator Patty Wilson and a female friend of. of of Mr Wilson so Adair gets uh, well White gets out of prison Um, he's still heavily involved with the UDA and he um, he acts as Adair's consigliere he took part famously in a spotlight programme about a loyalist feud in 2000 on the shangle and he um, he was mocked afterwards because he's asked about where he gets the money for his Jaguar and he claims it's um, it's out on HP uh, hair purchase and he's, he's also asked about his lavish lifestyle and he claims that he made money by selling prison crafts while in jail now, I, I don't know what sort of a sculptor, do you know what way it is? But I couldn't, I couldn't see him being in the in the Michelangelo bracket, you know. But he, he claims he this money came from from prison arts And I've I've no way of proving it didn't, although I suspect it might not have.
1: On the next episode of the Bell Tale.
2: So he comes out and he starts ruling the roost, but then he has designs to take over. He wanted to be supreme commander. There's friendly with Elvia figures. As the LVF band is walking past UVF haunt the racks, they unfurl the LVF flag and he grabs the LVF flag, pulls the LVF flag down. The UDA then go and go get guns from the Shangle Sea Company's area and come up and riddle the racks bar with, um, with automatic weapons.
1: In September 1999, Johnny Adair was released as part of the early release scheme under the Belfast Agreement. It could have been a fresh start. It could even have seen him gain more power and influence. But it was in fact the beginning of the end. In the next episode of The Belltel, we tell the story of the bloody loyalist feuds which led to Adair being driven out of Northern Ireland for good. This episode of The Bell Tell was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar, sound designed by Graham Davidson. The clips you heard were from Donald McIntyre, the BBC, UTV, RTE.